0: Chapter two that's good guy that bless my heart that's great that's good well as you know we have been ever since we started our church we have been laying a foundation in your life really on how to understand Uh, the word of God as far as building a relationship personally we started out if you remember talking about the nine gates over there in the book of Nehemiah showing how that those gates are are pictures of what this church needs as far as ministries we spent a enormous amount of time on uh, your own personal walk with God showing you how to do that that's one of the things we've been doing in Proverbs chapter 2 all this is in preparation for when probably sometime right after Easter we're gonna start coming through the whole book of the Bible. And my goal is going to be to take every Sunday a book of the Bible and lay it out for you doctrinally, historically, inspirationally so that whenever you read that book of the Bible that you'll be able to understand all of the things that you need to look for. Obviously, it won't be an exhaustive uh, critique of of each book, but it'll give you enough information that you know what you're looking for and you know what that book's all about and we'll hit on some key things. I want to do this because not only it brings us to the same level as we come through the Bible together, which I think is very important, but it also in future generations, for your kids, for new people that come in down the line, will put those CDs into a uh, sixty six book collection of the Bible, and down the line, anybody that wants to study the book of the Bible, they can go to that and they can get that material to start with, and uh, by no means it will be an exhaustive of the books of the Bible, but it'll give you the foundation that you need to start where you're at we 're going to start that here. Uh, probably sometime right after Easter and I'm looking forward to that I think it'll be a, a great time to come through as a young church together uh, book by book of the Bible so uh, but as you know uh, in preparation for that I've been spending uh, an enormous amount of time coming through the particulars of how to build a relationship and as I said many many times we've been in Proverbs 2 now for a couple of months and I don't know of any any chapter in the Bible that really changed my life as far as understanding uh, what the Word of God will do for me more than Proverbs chapter 2. And last week we, we looked at it, uh, you know, we spent a, a lot of time coming through the first five verses there showing you how to, uh, what the, what your investment was, what you needed to do, receiving the Word, hiding the Word, inclining the Word, and implying your heart, you know, and crying after wisdom. And <clears throat> and it's uh, it's an incredible thing. And I'll tell you, the exciting thing to me is, and we remember we took that time where we talked about Psalms 119, how to, develop your own prayer and I talk with many of you throughout the week and various different things you know and a number of you have have talked to me about you got your prayer in the book of Psalms of teaching you the Bible and I'm telling you you get that kind of relationship going with the Word of God and you're going to learn some things about the Bible so I'm excited about it and uh, last week we we talked about verses 6 through 11 where it talked about, For the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth, cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment, and preserveth the way of his saints. Then he says, Then shalt thou understand righteousness, judgment, and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom entered into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. So we talked about the mouth we talked about laying up sound wisdom we talked about the Word of God being a buckler to you and keeping you on the paths of judgment we talked about preserving your way and talked about the Bible giving you the aspect of a balance equity but all of that brought us to the final great concept found down here uh, in verse uh, 11 when he says discretion shall preserve thee understanding shall keep thee let's pray father We thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you so much. We thank you, Father, for those that are here today. We we love you, Lord. We thank you for the fact that we can open up this book now and that you can speak to our hearts, you give us wisdom and insight into into all the things that we need to look at today. And Lord, help us to be found faithful in teaching this old book. We love you, and we love your word. And Lord, because of that, we can love each other today. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you're going to give us. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it, amen. Now, the greatest final concept, and I said this last week, the greatest thing, and the Bible will do a lot of great things for you, but I think the greatest single thing the Bible does for you and for me is give us the ability to discern. The Bible calls it discretion. And we talked about this last week and just got, kind of got into it. We're going to really get into it today. But it gives you the ability to separate what is truth from what is error. We live in a day and age that is very complicated. We live in a day and age that is wrought with falsehood, wrought with false teaching that looks so good. And I'm not talking about just in the world, I'm talking about in churches. You have men today standing in pulpits, preaching from from the Bible, who are giving their people absolutely nothing. You have people who uh, believe in God and believe in heaven and believe in hell that are go to church every Sunday that are on their way to hell because of the fact nobody's ever really uh, gave them the truth the way the Bible lays it out. And you have people that get caught up into all kinds of things. Within the body of Christ, there are heresies. Heresies are false teachings. And there are heresies within the body of Christ. That means false teachings that say people get caught up in. And there's heresies without the body of Christ. That's teachings that unsafe people get caught up in. And even though one's going to hell and one's going to heaven, there's still a heresy within uh, both realms. Not only the world, but also the church. And that's what the Bible does for you. It gives you the ability, it gives you the ability to uh, discern what is right and what is wrong. What is real and what is phony. And uh, it gives you an absolute standard. And without this standard, With what we're faced with in the world today, without an absolute standard you can go to, that totally and completely you can rely upon, that it is something that God gave you, that man had nothing to do with, that is the absolute critique of everything in life, without that we're all in a mess and we are going to be fooled. There has to be in this world somewhere an absolute standard that has the gold standard of truth by which everything else can be judged by. And my friend, that is the Bible. And that's where we're at today. I got a question for you today. And I want to make this question kind of like preface my my message this morning. And the question is this. Mindy, what time do you have? Mindy doesn't have a watch. That one word. Do you have a watch, honey? Does anybody ever wear watches in it? What time you got? You got 11.30. Jan, what time? Jan, you, you, you bet you got a gun over, but you don't have a watch. So if Jan shoots you, he will not be able to tell you what time it is. What's your time you got? 11.30. 11.30. What time you got? 11.27. 11.30. What time you got? 11.29. 1129. What time you got? I got 11.25. What time you got? <laughs> Who? What time you got? 11.28. What time you got? 1128, what time do you got? 1128, 1128. what time do you got? 1129. 1129, you know what? It's all right. They're all reliable. No, they're not. Now, you know what you've got today in this world? You've got a bunch of people I asked that gave what time it was, and everybody, almost everybody, gave me a different time. And yet, There is one standard for time in this world. I don't care what time you said it was, or what time anybody said it was, or what time I said it was. If you want to really find out what time it is, call 800 number over in Colorado, and it will give you the absolute time based on the standard of time for the world. You know where it's at? Greenwich, England. No matter what you think the time is, if you want to find out what time it really is, you've got to go to one standard. And in this world of Christianity and spirituality, if you want to know what time it is in the world of Christianity, you've got to go to one absolute standard. And it just happens to come from England just like the real time does in Greenwich. Now, I don't have time to go into all of that this morning to show you how the hand of God... And by the way, it, it, given in the universal language, which is English. We don't have time to go into all that today, but I'm telling you this. If you want to know what time it is today exactly, absolutely, it's based on one absolute standard in England. And they base that observation of time on the stars. Does anybody here want to tell me who made the stars? then time is based on an absolute concept of something that God made. And biblical time is based on an absolute concept that God has given us. Well, don't tell me they're all reliable. They're no more all reliable than your times are all reliable. And that's the question by which I want to talk to you about discernment today. Now, verses 12 through 22 says this. I'll start at verse 10. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. To deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things. Who leave the paths of unrighteousness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoices to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked. Whose ways are crooked and they froward in their paths. Verse 16. To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. That thou mayest walk in the way of good men, and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. Now, the Bible says very clearly and plainly that when you get discretion, that it's going to keep you and preserve you from two things. One is the evil man, and the other one is the strange woman. Now, we're going to focus on the evil man. I don't know how far we're going to get today. We may get them both done, but probably not. I don't know. We'll see. But let me say this. Now, Now, that evil man historically is any evil man that you have to deal with in your life, and certainly as Israel had to deal with. There was a number of them. Now we can go through the list of the whole Bible. And Solomon writing to his sons were telling him to watch out and to use the Word of God because the Word of God will tell him as a king who he needs to watch out for and who he doesn't need to watch out for, historically. Now, inspirationally, that evil man will be anybody in your life that doesn't help you in your walk with God. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not on the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night. The Bible says there's people in this world that are evil. There's people in this world that are wicked. And there are men that you need to stay away from, and, and people in your life that, that you work with, that they're not going to help you in your Christianity. And in other words, they're gonna be a, they're gonna, they're gonna degrade, uh, your life with Christ, and they're gonna wear on you, and the people that you hang out with, uh, that, that can be the evil man in an inspirational application. But doctrinally, doctrinally, oh, here it comes. And this is where the majesty of the Word of God and the principles of the Word of God take over to show you the mind behind this book. Doctrinally, that evil man and that strange woman are the personification of something. It's not just an ordinary man in a doctrinal sense. When the Bible writes about this evil man and this strange woman, it's showing you something as a child of God uh, that you're going to have to look out for. And the Bible gives you the discernment and the discretion to be able to see it. Because it's a personification of something. It's more than just an individual man or a woman. Because look at verse 12. It says, Delivery from the way. Of the evil man, it's more than just a man. It's a way of life. It's something that you and I have to contend with, and we have to deal with. And we're going to look at it here. Remember, a couple of months ago in our Thursday night Bible study, uh, somebody asked a question out of Job chapter forty-one, and we were talking about Leviathan and the devil. And I showed you how the Job chapter forty-one was the greatest chapter in the Old Testament that really lays out the work and the person of Satan and how he's going to accomplish what he tries to accomplish. And that's why we talked about how the Bible calls it Leviathan, but in all the new Bibles it's changed the sea monster, and it destroys the chain of references. And I told you, we were coming down there, and I, I read verse 12, and in verse 12 says, I will not conceal his, talking about Leviathan, who's the devil, I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportion." And I just read that verse in passing as we went on through the study, and then somebody raised their hand and says, "What does that verse mean?" And I showed you how that those three verses, or that verse, when those three concepts, show you exactly how the devil's going to work. And the Bible lays out more about the devil than, and the way he operates than any other person outside the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's why the devil hates the Bible. And uh, uh, verse 13 said this, And who can discover the face of his garment? Now those two verses simply say this, that the devil is a master at disguise. A devil is a master at camouflage. The devil is a master at masking himself as the real thing when he's with the wrong thing. And the Bible says that God will not conceal... His parts, his power, or his comely proportion. And those three things, without getting into a long dissertation on them, reveal not only who the devil is, but how he operates in every dispensation of this Bible. And I'm telling you, when you understand that, you begin to realize that... If you have a Bible and you believe the Bible you read, that you can discover the face of His garment. And that's why Proverbs 2 says that when you get the Word of God into your life and you learn it, and you learn the principles, and you learn the stories, and you learn the characters, and you learn the types, and you learn everything the Bible has to offer, you now have the discernment and the discretion to be able to see this evil man and all of his things that he does as he really is. Now, I'm going to take you on just a, a short Bible study this morning, and I'm going to, I'm going to show you how, how you begin to do this. For this, we're going to have to turn back to Genesis chapter 3. Because this evil man is something more, it's something more than just a, a man. It's a way. And you need to understand this this morning, because what we're about to see is the evil man, the personification of the devil... To destroy mankind and destroy the plan of God through a specific format. And somebody said, well, Bob, where do you start if you want to study something like that? Let me tell you. In the Bible, in studying the Bible, there's some rules. One of those rules is simply this. It's called the the rule of first mention, or the law of first mention. The first time you find something mentioned in the Bible... Because the Bible is a supernatural book, and the Bible was written by God, under God's inspiration, the first time you find something in the Bible, it's very important. Because it now, it now gives you a point of reference. The key about the Bible, as I've said many, many times, is its consistency. Once you find something the first time in the Bible, that first time will always define what that thing is. I have never found it any place, any other way in the Bible, that when you don't find something the first time in the Bible, it isn't defined for you right there, and you have from that point everything you need to figure out what this is going to be. And lo and behold, in Genesis chapter 3, the first time the devil shows up. And the first time the devil shows up, it's an incredible thing. Now I know that most people look at the Bible and they just think, well, the Bible is a collection of writings and a collection of words and there's really no impact to the order of the books or the, or the stories and the, or the people in it. That it's just nice, kind of like stories, of moral stories, favorite fairy tales, fables, whatever. And uh, of course, we know that's not true. The Bible is an exact account. It's an exact rendition of what God wants us to understand so we can have discernment and understanding. And the first time the devil shows up, Wow. From that passage right there, for the first three verses in Genesis chapter three, or the first six verses, you have the pattern of the devil for the next six thousand years of man's recorded history. Laid out for you. You have there his parts, his power, and his comely proportion, and you have the, everything you need to discover the face of his garment. Now I wanna, I wanna read here in 3.1, it says this. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die; for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with him, uh, with her, and he did eat. And then, of course, you know the rest of the story. Their eyes are open, they sow fig leaves together, and mankind is now in a mess. But I'm going to focus on the first six verses. The law first mentioned. An evil man, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, that God is going to keep you from and preserve you from and give you paths of judgment so you don't not get caught up in His ways. Now, I don't know if if you picked anything out of here or not, but I, I there's five great things here that I want to talk about just for a quick second here to give you an understanding of it. But five great things in chapter 5 about what takes place here that you need to know. First of all, the first thing I see here is that the root of all questioning and doubting the Word of God is satanic in its beginnings or its origins. The first thing I see from this that the, the root of all doubting and rejecting and questioning the Bible is satanic in its root form. The second thing I see is this. Sin in this planet starts with adding to and subtracting from what God said. The third thing I see is this. The man's desire to be like God is satanic. The next thing I see is Satan... Satan is behind the real problem and the real false teaching behind uh, intellectualism that destroys your faith in the Word of God. The next thing I see, the last thing I see, that man uses God and the Word of God to make his own religion. Man uses God and the Word of God to make his own religion so he can get rid of the absolute final authority that God has given him and he can be his own final authority. Now, you may not understand those five things right now, but if you stay in the Word of God, let me tell you something. One of these days, it's gonna the lights are going to come on. And what I'm saying is this. The Bible says there's an evil man. And that evil man represents a personification of something for us. And it's the devil. And the first time you find the devil showing up in Genesis chapter 3, the first words out of his mouth is, Yea, hath God said... Mark it. Put a little note right next to him and s- simply write this The Yea Hath God Said Society. That's the Scholars Union. That's the Yea Hath God Said Society. The devil, the first words out of his mouth when he wanted to damn mankind for all of eternity, foil the plan of God, destroy God's plan, wreck God's work, and damn and doom mankind to an eternal hell wasn't, let's go get a beer, let's go find some girls, let's go gamble, let's go get drunk, let's go take drugs, let's go fornicate, let's go do this. The first words out of his mouth was, yea, hath God said, and then he changed what God said. Mark it. When he comes down there in verse 1, look at it. He says, yes, God said, you should not eat of every tree of the garden. Question mark. That's not a statement. He's throwing doubt on what God The preceding chapter in verse 16, God told them they could eat of every tree of the garden. You see, this, the devil, the evil man's goal is not to get rid of the Word of God because he can never do that. But it's to make sure that you and I keep a Bible, but just don't have sound wisdom from that Bible. And there comes the confusion. Now, look at Dr. Eve. Verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay? Now, when Eve jumps into the thing, you know what we see? What we got here is a picture that in human nature. And I know that Adam and Eve were in innocence. No sin was imputed to them yet. But they still had all sin natures. And when you see human nature, a man, lining up with the devil, you're going, to have, you're going to have some problem because the bottom line is they want to be like the gods. And as I've told you many, many times, that was the exact same problem the devil had in Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. I will be like the Most High. She goes right down the same path and she says, oh, you're wrong. We may eat... We may eat, but she leaves out the word freely. Then she adds to it, neither can you touch it. Then she goes on and she leaves out the word surely. You know what? No, I'm not a very smart individual. But I, I, I look at that and I know that, I know that when something like that, I, I know that out of the mouth the abundance of the heart speaks. And I know when a person says something, there's always something underneath that if you look beyond what they say, like what I talked about last week. And it always bothered me that the three things that she did, the three she left out freely, she added something about you're not allowed to touch it, and then she left out surely. Now when you look at that, that doesn't seem like much. But you don't realize down the line in the next 6,000 years, those are the three things that every false religion is built on. Because when she took out the word freely, she instituted a system of works. Because it isn't free anymore. When she took out the word surely, she took out the eternal, absolute security that the Bible was the sure word of prophecy. And when she says you can't touch it, she's laying the fundamental precept that you can't touch the absolute standard of the Word of God and have it in your hands. Every time human nature lines up with the devil, brother, you're going to lose your book. And this is what Paul was talking about. This is exactly what he had in mind when he wrote Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. That says, but I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtleties, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul's concern for the church, Paul's concern with the church was, hey look, the devil beguiled Eve through his subtleties. And my fear is that just as he beguiled Eve physically, he's going to beguile you in your minds from what? The simplicity that is in Christ. Then this evil man, ladies and gentlemen, this morning that we're faced with, that you and I are going to have to deal with, this evil man will be a satanic system of teachings of men formulated by unsaved, unregenerate men who think they're smarter than God, who hate God in many cases, who are satanically inspired, who write, and make books and make movies and write literature and teach schools and teach curriculums that have absolutely nothing to do with sound wisdom, who have one purpose: that is to destroy your faith in the Word of God and take away from you the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. I've told you before. Bible's not a hard book. Man makes it hard. Man makes it hard. The idea that God would write a book and give it to you and then say to you, I'm going to judge you by this book and this is my mind, and then put it so high academically that some dirt farmer down in West Virginia couldn't find out the mind of Christ. No, 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 no. That Bible was written so anybody could get it anytime, anywhere. It's written in fourth grade English that anybody could figure it out. But man wants to destroy us, as Paul's fear was, with a yea, half God said society, that evil man that wants to develop a system of higher education, political reform, political correctness, that destroys any sound teaching and wisdom and leaves you with just a gobbledygook mush of unstuff that you can't even figure out. I want you to notice this man. Come back to Proverbs now. Proverbs two. Look at him. Look what he does. Look what his job is. It says down here in verse twelve to liberty from the way the way of the evil man from the man that speaketh froward things. Froward means perverse. He speaks perverse things. Verse thirteen. Who leave the paths of unrighteousness. That he leaves the righteousness of God. He doesn't walk on that path that you're told to walk on. And the rest of that verse says, his ways of darkness. No light. No truth. Light in the Bible is the Bible. This man speaks perverse things. He leaves the paths of unrighteousness. He leads you into darkness where there is no light. And then he rejoices, verse 14, to do evil. His ways, verse 15, are crooked. This is the evil man. This is the system that started in Genesis chapter 1 or Genesis chapter 3 where the devil, who is the evil man is the personification of, showed up to destroy the simplicity. How much simpler could it get? Adam and Eve are in a garden. They don't work they don't have to worry about heat bills air conditioning bills the weather is perfect they got no houses they don't have to worry about going to the mall to buy clothes they don't have to worry about anything they don't have to go to the pet shop they got lions and tigers and bears and everything around them they can be right there and they can just walk out and eat whatever they want there's nothing buried in the ground it pops out of the ground and you can have whatever you want you don't have to work you don't have to get up you just walk around in fellowship with each other and fellowship with God how much simpler can it get than that? And when the devil shows up, he destroys that simplicity, and now look what we got. Whoa! We got now countries, we got now nations, we got now politics, we got now parties, we got now Democrats, Republicans, Independents, we got wars, we got sickness, we got this, we got that. You're telling me that's better than what it was? The devil, the evil man, destroyed with Adam and Eve more than just damning their soul. He destroyed the simplicity that God had given them. And when Christ came back, died on the cross, and restored you and me to that fallen image, you know what He also gave us back? Simplicity. The evil man shows up again and says, You can't understand your Bible, you poor zap. I'll tell you what it means. Well, don't read that Bible. You don't, you've never been to school. You don't have any degree. I'm Dr. So-and-so. I'll tell you what it means. Oh, you can't trust that verse. You know what? You go up to somebody and say, Man, look what God showed me today. Look at this. And he says, Oh, I'm sorry. It really doesn't mean that. Maybe we ought to sing I'll Fly Away. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. This evil man has one desire. And faced with that, Job. And I'm going to tell you right now, wait till we get to Job coming through the Bible. That's going to be a tough one to get through in one hour, but I can do it. I'm telling you, you better 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 put on your high gear think that day because Job is the most unbelievable scientific book in all of the Bible. There's more information on the universe. There's more information on what's going on out there and the scientific discovery that a man made in the book of Job. I mean, you want to study the telegraph and the telephone? It's in Job. You want to study the spectroscope? It's in Job. I mean, it's endless what Job has. You want to get the dimension of the universe and how it lays itself out? It's in Job. That's sound wisdom. But you know what Job said in Job chapter 38? Well, the Lord said... In verse 1 and 2 he said this, Job just had three friends come to him. And Job's three, Job had a relationship with God. And Job was just following the simplicity of that relationship. What happens? You know what happens. Job gets persecuted. He loses his family. He gets sick. Terminal illness. Boils. The whole nine yards. He's in an absolute state of wretchedness. But he's still following the teachings of Christ or whatever he had going with God because the Bible says he was a righteous man, he hated evil, and he walked with God. And lo and behold, in the middle of his travail come Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine. Job's three friends. Now, what did Job's three friends do for him? In the hour of his need, when he's at the lowest point of his life, They don't edify him. They don't uplift him. They don't say, Job, God is so good. Look at this. They don't comfort him. They nitpick him apart and they try to downgrade him and say the problem is him and tear him apart and rip him up. Why? They want to destroy the simplicity that he had. And it gets so bad that Job looks at him and he says, You know what, boys? You're telling me all this is because of God and God is judging me. And you're telling me that i got sin and I'm telling you I don't. But you know what? I can't argue with you. I'm here. You're there. I know me, God. You don't know me and God. You know what you got to say. Let me end it. I don't care what you say. I love Him. I trust Him. I believe Him. And if He slays me, I'll still trust Him. Whoa! That's Job nothing was going to take the simplicity that Job had. But all those three boys showed up. Those three boys showed up. And Job chapter 38, the Lord shows up. And then he asks some questions. And he says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Job's three friends historically, and the evil man doctrinally. Because unregenerate man is going to come up with every concept he can that is going to be froward and perverse and crooked to destroy from you and from me the simplicity that is in Christ. And Job says, God says in Job, they are words without knowledge. And all down through history, ladies and gentlemen, you know how history plays it out. The nation of Israel goes into captivity in 606 B.C. Sennacherib comes down a little bit before that and takes the part of them the gap and then Nebuchadnezzar comes down in 606 and takes the rest of them in captivity and the nation of Israel is finished as far as the great nation of this planet. And then enters a time which is commonly called times of the Gentiles. And the times of the Gentiles very simply stated are the time when now the earth is run by the devil through the Gentile nations. And at times the Gentiles run right up through the first coming of Christ, and then they go on right up to where we're at right now. But before, at the end of Israel, in Second Chronicles chapter 36, and at the coming of Christ, there's 400 years where God writes nothing. No revelation from God. All they have is what the Old Testament is in it, and it's complete, and there's nothing new given by anybody from God, any prophet, nobody in what this world is left to. The devil takes that time and he brings up evil men. Men like Socrates, men like Plato, men like Aristotle, who take the Old Testament Word of God, and corrupt it, and add to it their own philosophical pagan teachings, and come up with a whole nother concept of life, principles of life that will lead you straight to hell, principles of life that will destroy everything, that are amoral, immoral, and they're, they're just totally corrupt. Now we see it move from Socrates to the, through the nations of the Roman Empire. We see even in the time of Christ. Men like Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, Philo and Origen, who are the great philosophers. During that time, Alexandria, Egypt, was the seat of knowledge in the world. The library there was unprecedented in all of history. And the great minds formed their patterns of thought and the philosophies that were going to impact you and me 4,000 years later at that time in Alexandria. Oh, and Philo and Origen and those boys were done with it, Man, it was a mess. Now there was all kinds of philosophy of life. They went contrary to the Word of God. We see the rise of the Roman Catholic Church and what is commonly called the Christian scholarship. Guys like Thomas Aquinas, Alcan, Augustine, who take the seeds of Plato, Aristotle and Socrates and all of the ungodliness of Alexandria and mix it together and come up with a form of thought that later on, as Europe develops and God's Spirit moves and the Word of God is moving out in the Philadelphian church age around the world that never has evil men to counter that great fact. You know him today as Thomas Hobbes. You go up to California and you go to Berkeley University. Named after George Berkeley, one of the greatest unshaved pagan humanists the world has ever seen. David Hume, Christian Wolfe, Isaac Newton, Spizona, Voltaire, the great atheist, that denied God and the Word of God. All these men hated God. They hated the Word of God. But they sat around and their writings and their teachings changed and impacted the minds of Europe for 2,000 years. And it comes to a point in Europe through this German rationalism and the humanism and the secularism. Nietzsche, who lives around 1900, comes up with a great concept. Rocked the world. A great statement. Change the pattern of life on planet earth. What a revelation Nietzsche had when he stepped to the forum and said to his intellectual students, I've come to a great conclusion today. God is dead. you know, I bet there's times in heaven when they just go into a spastic fit. <laughs> I mean, you've got to see the two perspectives. Here's a little guy running around here, you know, with a PhD. with a little go-to- go-to-goatee mustache on there, you know. And up there in heaven, Lord's sitting on the throne. Angels are singing the hallelujah chorus 24 hours a day. And the seraphim are bowing down saying, holy, holy, holy. And they're seeing through God's creation over there, you know. And I don't know exactly how it goes on up in heaven. I don't know. But I, I, you know what? I, I got this thing in my mind, you know. I'm up there and all of a sudden they're up there praising the Lord and praising God, you know. And somebody runs in and says, hey, Shh, watch this. Runs over to that big old... TV screen on the sky and turns that thing on a channel nine and there's old Nietzsche walking up to the thing and everybody's hushing and Michael saying, hey, You're gonna see this. <laughs> Watch this. Moses is over there saying, Oh boy, here it goes, you know. And Jeremiah is getting everybody around, you know, and they're saying, Hey, everyone. and heaven I think this is what it means in the Bible when it says there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. <laughs> and they're all around the throne, man, and even God looking down at that thing, and all of a sudden, this little pip squeak. Oh you got to see him little three piece suit, little scraggly mustache, you know, the evidence of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen you know on his face, you know. Walking up there, you know, looking out at that crowd, and everybody saying, Oh, Dr. Nietzsche, I brought your book. Sign my book. Sign my book. Oh, sign. I'll have a book. Sign my shirt. Sign my leg. Sign my hand. Oh, oh, he's here. Oh, what a great intellectual. Oh, doctor, doctor, doctor. Oh, and oh, could you see it out in the forum? Doctor, it's good to see you here. Thank you. It's good to be here, doctor. Yes, doctor. Yeah, doctor. It's good. Let's go hear the other doctor. Come on, doctors. Let's go in there. Everybody sat down there, and he walks to that podium, and it's just quiet. And he looks out there, and he says, I've come, after years of study, to a great conclusion. Hush! People with notepad and pen. Here comes the conclusion. Heaven's up there. They're all looking at this thing. And You know, Michael's kicking Gabriel, and Gabriel's saying, oh, look at that idiot. Shh! Watch this. Watch this. They're over there, you know, and all the Old Testament saints are down here. They're saying... I can't believe this! What an idiot! Didn't he? Didn't he live down the street from that guy? that was a soul winner that just got here last week. You know when they killed him. You know, yeah. And they're watching down there. You know, here it comes. After years of study, I have decided and come to the conclusion that God is dead. Everybody in there went. Oh. Up in heaven they went. Ah! <laughs> Dead, there he is, man, dead. Oh, you know what? All through Europe, then you saw, you know how these little Kilroys were here? You ever see those? Well, all through Europe, then for the next hundred years, it was God is dead, Nietzsche. Go down the street, there'll be an old empty building on the side of the building, God is dead, Nietzsche. You you know, you see smiley faces today. Back then, it was God is dead, Nietzsche, because there were people following that thought. And you'd walk down, you'd be driving down the Alpine Road, you know, going into wherever, and you'd be riding there, and there'd be a, you know, little barn over there, and now you see a tobacco thing on it today, but over there it was God is Dead, Nietzsche. Story goes that after he died, they buried Nietzsche, tombstone. There it was, Nietzsche, named 1840 to 1900, whenever he died. Four or five days later, his friends came out to put some flowers on it and shore up the grave, and sure enough, there was it. Nietzsche's dead. God. (laughs) You betcha. Let me tell you something. You think Nietzsche follows that philosophy now, wherever he's at? And I don't have to pray about where he's at. I'm telling you, dead. God is dead. Somebody says, what is that? Words without knowledge. Some little punk down there is trying to shoot off because he thinks he's God. He's smarter than God. He knows more than God. And now he's so in tune with it that he says that God is dead. When did he die, Mr. Nietzsche? I'm part of the family. I wasn't informed of his death. I never read his obituary. I just talked to him this morning. He seemed fine then. When did he die? He didn't die, but Nietzsche died. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You want one of the greatest volumes of books that you can ever buy? I mean, they're absolutely worthless, but they're incredible. And there's a lot of them, so if you want to put them on your den, it looks like you're really an intellect. And you can buy them at any used bookstore for probably 10 cents apiece. You know what it's called? It's called The History of Civilization by Will Durant. About 12 volumes. And Will Durant is an unsaved one of these guys. And he, he records the history of man's civilization. The, and there's like 12 volumes. The greatest volume he compares Caesar to Christ. Oh, I'm telling you, Matt, if you want fantasy reading, if you want something that will tickle you on a rainy night, just get his stuff. I'm telling you. I mean, if you want to read words without knowledge, I'm telling you, these guys have one goal and one goal only, and that is to destroy sound wisdom and take from you, take from you the teachings of the Word of God that are absolute, that free. That you said, the devil says you, or Eve said you couldn't touch. That Eve said it wasn't sure. And from Nietzsche, by 1930, we got the secular humanists in this country. They pull together, wanted to destroy America. They come out of Europe with all this stuff. And they come up with the humanist manifesto, 1930s. The secular movement, which leads to the ALCU, which leads to the liberals which leads to NBC, ABC, and CBS. And they all have one thing in common. They're there for a reason. And that reason is to destroy anything that God does, anything that he tries to accomplish. And the devil uses them <coughs> to bombard us day after day with newspapers, radio, television, books, novels, fiction, nonfiction, history. I mean, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22 and 23, it says, There are new, remove not the old ancient landmarks. Because if you do, you will enter into the fields of the fatherless. And the fields of the fatherless are history. With no perspective, no understanding. And the the landmarks are God and the nation of Israel in history. And when you take them out, as the evil man does, you're left to your own devices. That evil man impacts everything in our world. He's come up with all kinds of, I call them theologies of man. Theologies of man, sociology, psychology, theology, science, higher education. We build universities, divinity schools, political science. We see it in art. We see it in music. We see it all down through history. Proverbs chapter 19 says, verse 21, there's many devices in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. You've got today around you, starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, with the law first mentioned, with the first mention of the Bible and its parts and its power and its comely proportion, where it's come to today, the yea hath God said society, that evil man stands for one purpose, and that is to destroy and counter everything that is true that'll give you sound wisdom. You go into the, you go into the psychology world today, and you're faced with Sigmund Freud. A lot of people don't agree with him today. A lot of people still do. He's called the father of modern psychology. Why? Because he was the man that took psychology and psychiatry to the level that it really is today by putting it on the market, so to speak. Sigmund Freud hated God. He hated the Word of God. He thought it was fables. He hated Christians. He thought the world should be run by a priest class of psychologists. He started his practice on Easter day. Opened his door on Easter Sunday to make the statement God wasn't going to get in his way. Hated God. And from him today, they all take their foundation. I don't care where you go. William Glasser, Carl Rogers, B.F. Skinner, Meneth Meyer, you want to go wherever you want to go. Even the Christian counselors and psychologists today, it's a little bit of Freud, it's a little bit of Skinner, it's a little bit of Carl's, dibble dabble with a few Bible verses to pull it off as real. Let me tell you something. If the book by itself can't solve your problems, there's nothing that man can offer. That's words without knowledge. Words without knowledge. I think of, I think of Charles Darwin. <coughs> He wrote a book back in the middle 1800s called Origin of the Species. You know what came out of that book? <clears throat> he said there was no absolute truth. He came up with a theory of evolution. And I'm telling you, I mean, and, and, and people today, they, they don't, they, they're not informed. They don't read. They don't study. Because you're a member of the Scholars Union, because you're a member of the Yea Hath God Said Society, Whatever you say is taken as the truth. Charles Darwin come up with the concept of evolution. He said, you started out as a worm, evolved to a man. I always thought that was interesting. You know the Bible says that he that laughs, laughs, laughs best. You say, where does it say that at? Well, it doesn't say that exactly. It just simply says this. Someday at the great white throne judgment, God's going to laugh. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that he's going to have them in derision. And they're going to be standing before him. And when they're crying out for this and crying out for that, the Bible says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He that last laughed laughs best. And God's got the last laugh. Holy wrote in that book, man started as a worm. And through evolution and the changing of the species, he's evolved now over millions of years to what we are today. You know what the Bible teaches? Bible teaches just the opposite, God's great joke. Bible teaches that man starts out in the garden perfectly performed, perfectly right, and then degenerates from there, and in a lake of fire he winds up as a worm, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Oh, you know what you got there? You got sound wisdom versus words without knowledge. Simple as that. And I'm telling you, every scientist, every microbiologist, every man at NASA, every astronaut, every astronomer, every cosmologist, every, everybody believes in two absolute laws, the laws of first and second thermodynamics. Now the, le- and I'm not gonna bore you with science this morning, so I'll make it simple. The first law of thermodynamics simply means this. You cannot create nor destroy matter. The second law of thermodynamics is called the law of entropy. And that simply means this. Things run down, they don't run up. When you buy a car, drive it off the lot, you just lost $800. Your house isn't getting better, it's getting worse. Your dog's not getting younger, it's getting older you're not feeling better today you're hurting more than you were five years ago it runs down every scientist in the world now when you come to when you come to when you come to evolution which without a doubt is most absolutely absurd absurd stupidest thing you'll ever get into in your life but we've got to do that because we're up against word without knowledge all scientists all mathematicians Everybody believes in the first and second law. There isn't one scientific man in the world that does not accept and buy the first and second law of thermodynamics. So when you're faced with evolution, I don't know how to break this to you. You've only got four ways it got here. You've only got four. You've only got four. There isn't five, there isn't six, there isn't seven. A hundred years from now, they won't find eight. There's four. Only four. And this shows you the emptiness of their words. It shows you the phoniness of their teachings. It shows you how the Job said its word without not. First of all, if it came, it had to come first of all from nothing. Naturally. That is against the first law of thermodynamics that says matter can neither be created nor can it be destroyed. So it could not have come from nothing naturally based on the fundamental sound scientific principle that everybody agrees with. The second way that it had to be here is it had to come from nothing supernaturally. That's God. Third way it had to come here is something was already here And then it began to evolve up from there. That goes against the second law of thermodynamics, which states absolutely, unequivocally, that things left in themselves run down, not run up. So you got one, it came from nothing naturally. You got two, it came from nothing supernaturally, God. Three, it came from something already here. Or four, it ain't really here and everybody just thinks it is which is not much of an option. And then they accuse, I don't know how many times over the years I've been accused, well, you believe in faith. You believe in faith. Man, it takes more faith to believe that than anything that's in the Bible. I mean, it either came naturally, which it can't. It was already here, which it can't. Or it has to be God. Did you ever look out You look at the stars you think how far are they away I look at my telescope and I'll see the little galaxies out there and I'll look it up in a book and it'll say this galaxy is 900 million light years distance 900 million light years light travels at 186,000 miles a second that means while I'm looking at it If right at that moment it would blow up and disappear, I would still see it for 900 million years. That's how long it took the light to get here. Now that's pretty impressive. And when you read that, and this scientist gets up and he says, yes, this is the great globular cluster in in constellation Hercules. It's 200,000 light years. Yes, this is M31, the great galaxy right on the edge of our own universe and it's 2.5 million light years. Now let me show you a distant one. This is commonly called the Sombrero Galaxy, designated M104. It is 875 million light years distance. Everybody's like, wow, man. Wow, Isn't science wonderful? Science is on the verge of opening up new frontiers. Medicine, science, and yes, there'll be a day when we will populate the planets and maybe even beyond, because science is the answer. Do you ever wonder how they figure out how far they are? Did you ever ask yourself, I mean, who was the guy, don't tell me how far they are, I want to meet the guy with a tape measure. <laughs> how do you get that? How do you get that? I mean, sounds great. How do you get it? You see, the average person, because he's a scientist, he's got a PhD, he's got a doctor's in physics, because he's all of those things, they just think, you know how they got it? It started with a guy by the name of Edward Hubble. They named the telescope after him. Edward Hubble lived in the 1930s. He did work on what was commonly called Seaford variables. Those are stars that vary in brightness. And you know what he said? He's the one that gave us today what we use as the yardstick for millions and millions of light years you know how he did it he come up with a theory that the different brightness of stars we call them magnitudes am i boring you the different brightnesses of stars because when i read all this it really bored me the different brightness of stars are called magnitudes and he says they they number them one two three four five six seven your eye from Kansas City, can probably see sixth magnitude. If you have a telescope, eight nine inches, you can probably see, you know, fifteenth magnitude. The two hundred inch Mount Palomar telescope can see twenty fifth magnitude. The Hubble, oh, the Hubble can see much beyond that. Oh, who knows? It's incredible what they can see because it's out and out of space, doesn't have all the atmospheric whatever. But anyway, Hubble said, the brightness is the key. He says, if one is third magnitude and one is fifth magnitude, the fifth magnitude has to be farther away than the third magnitude. And if I'm looking at a galaxy that has a spread out magnitude of eight, that has to be farther than the star that I see. And then he come up with the greatest teaching that just pulled it all together. He made up How far one of those stars was, and then based everything else on the one that he made up. And science embraces that and says, Oh, oh, he's so smart. He made it up. (laughs) I could have asked, I could have asked Buddy, How far? free! Just as accurate as his! I ain't kidding you! He made it up! And when you read this stuff, everybody says, oh, oh, uh, uh, it's incredible. 900 million light years. Oh, just all all based on what? All based up some screwball sitting out there saying, I think it's this far, and this is going to be my hypothesis theory, and I'm going to base everything else on this. You know there's religions built that way? Yeah, there are. Hubble, Edward Hubble. Words without knowledge. And they stand around and they say, say, I heard a guy the other day. He was on the television, on on the science channel. He says, we're about to come to the point in mankind's history where we answer one of the gigantic questions of all time is there intelligent life in the universe? To which I raised my hand and said, forget the universe, is there intelligent life on planet Earth? <laughs> Encounter theory. Nebula theory. The Big Bang. I, a guy, I wrote an article a couple weeks ago, The guy said, we appeared through the Hubble telescope into farther than anybody has looked, and we have actually seen the Big Bang. Yeah, and it's moving this way. It didn't start with a big bang, but bless God, it's going to end with one, and it's coming your way. Incredible. I mean, they talk about the, the, the Ice Age. Do you know why they come up with the Ice Age? So they can get around the flood. Because they face this thing on the mountains and they find all these animals trapped in all these crevices with fish and everything, and they're saying, what could it be? Well, nobody could ever, ever, ever buy the fact that it rained and covered the earth. No, no, no. The And even though some Russian pilot flew over and took pictures of Noah's Ark, oh, no, he had too much vodka. That, that could not be the truth. Oh, no, we cannot believe the Bible. There had to be an ice age then the ice covered the earth and ice moved across and for millions of years this earth was covered with ice. Somebody says, well, what about we found a mastodon trapped in the, covered by the ice? Yes, that's proof. The glacier came down, trapped the mastodon, and there he is. Well, sir, the fastest glacier in all of history moved 8 inches a year That's a real slow mastodon you got there, buddy. (sighs) Meteor. Asteroid. Hit this earth. Killed the dinosaurs. Anything but a flood. Anything but the Bible. Anything. Dr. Leakey spent his whole life Emphasis on the word leaky. Spent his whole life in the Sudan t- basin of Africa. Walking around there and leaped for joy when he found two teeth. <laughs> I mean, the world, the scientific world, called uh, together everybody for to, uh, the adulation for Dr. Leakey who found two teeth. That were the earliest man that we ever have known. Now, when they carbon dated, they found out they were part of an ape. Obviously, a direct descendant of Dr. Leakey. Over and over it goes. Words without knock. It's no wonder the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, casting down imagination. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought through the obedience of Christ. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that Bible God gave it to you, and if you invest your time in it, and your life in it, you'll get discernment and you'll get discretion. And when you read these things, when your kids are faced with these things, when you have to deal with them at school, or in, in the workplace, or wherever, you won't get crapped. You won't get caught. You won't buy into it. You understand through discernment what is real, what is right, what is word without knowledge, no matter how good it sounds. God's Word is God's Word. And I'm telling you, When you look at this and you understand what you've got, and you realize how this thing works, you understand that all the way back in Genesis, the devil showed up to take sound wisdom from Adam and Eve, and to steal their simplicity. And that's exactly what the devil through the evil man, down through history, through the writings of those unsaved, unregenerate men who hated God, hated the Word of God, who were pawns and tools in the devil's hand to destroy this book and to take from you and I the simplicity that is in this old book. I'm telling you. And you better get it. Now I'm laying this stuff all out to you now because when we hit the ground running, coming through that Bible, I want you to be able to have a foundation to see where we're going and what we're doing. Because we're gonna have to pick it up fast. And we're gonna have to get into that thing. And when you're done with it, you will you will understand totally and completely where this thing works. I'm gonna close with this and then I'm we're gonna be done this morning. Let me tell you how I got saved i i went i went i've always been into science and always been into astronomy and i <coughs> I was going to Kent State University I went there for a couple of semesters and uh i don't know if I was saved or not at that particular point i've been out of church for so long, and that's another whole story but anyway <coughs> i was in, i was into i bought into evolution i, I was into astronomy then and I had the whole thing man and you know what <coughs> a couple of Christian guys got a hold of me. And they started witnessing to me, and I kind of blew them off. And they said, hey, look, you're into astronomy, you're into science. We got some things we want to run by. Well, that appealed to me because they're asking me, good, I can handle that, because I want to be like the gods too. So I, I, I like that. So we got together one afternoon, and they showed me their, the thing they were working on was called statistical mathematical probability. And I didn't know I was falling right into the trap. And they got me over to their house, and they said this, look, Here's what we're basing this on. If the sun came up a hundred times in the past, what is the mathematical probability of it coming up tomorrow based on the last hundred times it came up? It would be pretty good, wouldn't it? And I said, yeah. I said, okay. He says, here's what we've done. We need your help on this. We took 48 prophecies that are found in the Old Testament. Those prophecies are about the Lord Jesus Christ. Those prophecies were written 600 to 1,000 years before he was born. And there's 48 of them in your Bible. He said these prophecies deal with the way he's born, where he's born, where he travels, how he dies, where he dies, and just... (coughs) 48 intimate things about a man's life. He said, what do you think the mathematical chances about 48 prophecies about one man written 600 a 1,000 years before he was born, what do you think the chances are against? I mean, it would be like me saying right now, you know, 2,000 years from now, there's going to be a man born in St. Louis. His name's going to be Tom Jones. He's going to live till he's 30 years old. He's going to move from central downtown to St. Charles. He's going to go to the First Baptist Church there on the corner of 6th and Elm. <coughs> at 30, at, when he's 30 years old, 33 years old, <coughs> he's going to cross the street at May and Maple, and he's going to get hit with a 1967 Chevy. Uh, 2,000 years from now, that would be a classic. He's going to get hit with a 1967 <laughs> Chevy, <coughs> and he's going to go to Park Lane Hospital, and he's going to die at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What would be the chances of all that coming true because that's what these 48 prophecies say about the Lord the chances they showed me <clears throat> they said we ran this through the computer they got up in the school library which was a big computer back then he says the chances against 48 prophecies given about one man coming to pass on everything on the exact time the number against it is 10 to the 157th power he said Do you know that big idea is, Bob Then I said, Well, it's pretty big. He said, There aren't that many electrons in the known universe. There are not 10 with 157 zeros after it electrons in our universe. That was the chances against those 48 prophecies coming to pass on the time that they said it did. And at the first coming of Christ, every one of those 48 prophecies was fulfilled. You know what I got? I got sound wisdom. And that was the thing that God used in my mind because I could not, no matter what I thought, no matter what I felt, I was now faced with something that was absolute truth that I couldn't deny. And that was the thing that God used to bring me back. And I'm telling you, this book is God's book. And the devil wants to destroy it from you. He wants to take the simplicity of Christ away from you. He wants to destroy your mind over that thing. And then the evil man and next week the strange woman will get right in there and do their work. And next week, you saw the strange man, next week we'll talk about the strange woman. Let's pray. Father